Thank you, Natalie. Good morning, everyone. I was a sophomore in high school, and I was uh, on the football team, and we were doing a, a drill called Bull in the Ring, and, um, and it's where you form a big ring, and football players are in there, you grab the ball, and you try and break out of the ring, and I caught a player, and I threw him back in the ring, and something happened to my wrist. And it was towards the end of the season, and uh, we went, had x-rays, and the x-rays were inconclusive, so uh, just continued on. But as uh, the weeks and months went by, realized that there was always pain whenever I would bump my wrist. And so when I would uh, horse around with friends, um, I would always protect uh, my hand. When I would do things, if I twisted my hand a certain way, it, I would hear, feel the shooting pain, and so I protected my hand, protected my hand, until one day, uh, my brother-in-law said, Eric, look at your arms. One is developing normally, and the other one is not. So we went back to the doctors. Turns out I did break one of the small bones in the wrist, and because it's such a small bone, sometimes there's not enough blood flow, and it doesn't heal, so it wasn't healing. So they gave us the option of either doing surgery or doing this, what they called an EBI system, sending electrical waves through the wrist. And so we opted to do this EBI system, and I had an outlet on my cast, and I would put it, and it was another. So it was about a year of having this broken hand and protecting it. It was about a year of this EBI system sending electrical waves through the, through the wrist to get the blood flowing. It started to come together. They thought the bone had healed. We took the cast off. The bone separated. Another year, I got surgery. Actually, you can see the scar. I don't know. Can I walk to this camera? So right there, a little scar. And... Um, and so I finally got the surgery. It was it what took me out of all sports in high school. And as a as a high school teenager, sports were so important to me. And I remember being discouraged again and again, a multi-year cast and surgery, thinking this would never end. And I remember I was talking with my grandpa Larson one time, and he said uh, this. He said, "You know, Eric, someday you'll tell the story." I don't think he thought about me telling it during a sermon. He said, you'll tell the story and you'll forget which wrist it was, your left or your right that you broke. And it was in the midst of the height of my frustration and I was so, I just, is this ever gonna end? And those words from my grandpa Larson gave me that hope and perspective that someday I'll be able to do the things I wanna do. Some day I'll, I'll be healed and made whole. He gave me hope. And I still, after 35 years, I remember his words. We are completing the book of Daniel, our study of the book of Daniel this morning in Daniel chapter uh, 12. Please turn to your Bibles uh, in Daniel chapter 12. And um, in this completion, this last chapter, which is this amazing chapter, I think that this chapter 
serves a little bit like the words of my Grandpa Larson. That there is hope that any pain or struggle that we are in presently in this life, that someday it will be removed. That maybe even when we, we tell the story to our kids or grandkids, we'll forget the name of the virus. Was it uh, Dos Equis or Bud Light or... <laughs> that, that someday... Someday it will be behind us and it gives us hope and peace. I think Daniel chapter uh, 12 is going to do something else as well that not only is it going to give us a picture of the end and it's got, it can give us peace and hope, but it can also be incredibly instructive if we know the end then we can shape our lives in the present. If we know the future, we can say, then how should we live today? And Daniel 12 is this picture of the end. Many of you know the, the famous book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I believe it's number two, live with the end in mind. What the author is communicating is, he says, have that idea of where you want to go so you live presently today. I'm going to expand the, that principle just a little bit. Live with the end of the world in mind. How does our reality today end? Actually, Daniel 12 tells us. And it should be tremendously instructive for how we live today. So let's read Daniel 12. And we just came out of, it's part of a, a long um, vision that an angel appears to Daniel and he's sharing. Um, chapter 11 was a part of that, especially the Antichrist um, and uh, the great tribulation that he was talking about. But then in Daniel 12, 1, picks up a transition and a time of the end. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince, angel, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. He's talking about the great tribulation, talked about in Revelation 12. Jesus mentions the great tribulation in Matthew 24, this time when there is this epic battle in the heavenly realms and on earth. Multitudes, here's the end, verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who, who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What a vision and picture. 
But you, Daniel, says the angels, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge, but what they're actually looking for is what is revealed here in the pages of Scripture. Verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, probably heavenly beings or angels, one on the bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, the angel that gives the revelation, who was above the waters of the river, how long, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? It's a timing question. Verse 7, the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, the Lord, saying it will be for a time, times, and half a time. If you have a highlighter in your own Bible, perhaps you want to highlight that time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been finally broken. All these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked my Lord, what will be the outcome of all this? So you have a timing question, which we'll talk about, and an outcome question that we'll talk about. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, many spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that, a, that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up in the temple, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end, you will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Okay, quite a chapter, an amazing chapter in Daniel to, to, to seal it off. Um, you know, many have wrestled, many theologians have wrestled whether uh, in the Old Testament the, the people of God really had a sense of resurrection, that that was taught in Old Testament times. This is the clearest picture of resurrection. This is the, the Old Testament preparing us for how it all ends. And I want to say a few words about timing, right? Because it's, it's so rich and it's neat. I want to, to draw your attention and then we'll move to how this applies to us today. The first is this. I want to talk about this, the seven-year period that is alluded to in this chapter, okay? Some of you remember in Daniel 9, when the angel Gabriel gave a, a clarification to Daniel, he talked about 77s. And what he was talking about is a seven years, a seven is seven years. And so 77s, 
He was talking about 490 years. But then he breaks that down a little bit and he, he refers to not 70 times 7, but then ultimately 69 sevens, which is 483 years. Now we have that chart there for you to understand. And so um, that first chart, just stay focused on that first chart. One was Daniel seeing in the prophet Jeremiah when the time of exile will be done. And then the years of 483 was the period of when it's really, we called it the timeline of the Messiah. So within Daniel, through the angel, hundreds of years before Christ, they predicted when the Messiah would come. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, he ascends. But in that timeline was a seven-year period, the final seven-year period that is not fulfilled yet. Some of you would remember we talked about this idea of being the divine pause between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And he was saying that, that there, there's an anticipation, this pause of God. You know the purpose of the divine pause? Paul tells us the purpose is salvation. He says in this time is a time of God's favor, of God's salvation. So God is working and rooting out evil. God is extending his kingdom, but he's giving time, this divine pause, so that the world might turn to him and receive his favor and receive his salvation. We are still on that timeline. We're still living in that time of the divine pause. Gabriel said this in um, a little bit earlier in Daniel, Daniel 9.27. He was talking about the Antichrist, and he said, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's the final seven-year period. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Jesus looks back to Daniel, and he says, that abomination that causes desolation, that is yet to happen. That's the final seven that there will be a final seven-year period that comes. And things like earthquakes and sickness and pandemics, those are birth pains. And those should point us to the end. We should look back at what God said in terms of timing and the purpose of the world, and say, God has us in control. He told us exactly when Jesus was coming, and now he's told us how it will end, the timing of that. We can receive comfort and strength that God has got this. This is part of his plan. This isn't random. Even struggle, even pain, are birth pains that remind us of our future hope that tell us that God has got this and he's working in our midst. 
We don't know. In fact, I'm convinced that Jesus, when he said the son doesn't know, he was saying he doesn't know how long this divine pause, how long this time of salvation will last. But then we look for that final time to God finally to root out all evil. But he will be working in the midst of all of this. One more thing in terms of timing. I asked you to look specifically at that verse that's a little bit confusing, verse 7. Would you look at that with me now? Where he says, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. And some of you might remember we talked about that times, time, and half a time. That relates to years. And so if you add that up, you have one year, two years, and then half a year. If you divide seven years and half, what do you get? Three and a half years, yes. No, not five, but three and a half years. And so again, this timing relates to that period of the final seven. Now, in other places, in uh, Revelation, which, of course, all end-time things end up there, there is uh, numbers like we have at the end of chapter 12. And that number is 1,260 days. The calendar of Scripture is the lunar calendar, and that's 360 days in a year. Do you know if you take three lunar calendar years of 360 days plus a half of that, do you know what number you get? 1,260 and so again, you have this idea that God is in control of history. The numbers at the end of Daniel, there's mystery for sure. One number is 30 days before um, that halfway period, and one is 45 days. Many people think it's about setting up the new kingdom. It's anticipation that God has it down to the day when he will transition us from this broken world that still wrestles with evil and sin into a new world where the kingdom of God reigns. Jesus comes back. So all of Daniel is pointing us to this new kingdom of God, this new reality that he is working and forming and wants to give us hope and peace. As we saw his timing in the past, so we see it in the future and we trust him. It's all in his hand. That's the timing question. There's an outcome question that I wanted to talk about as well. The question is, what is the outcome of all of this? And he tells us specifically the outcome. He removes all the drama for us. In fact, if I, I re return to Pastor Jed's um, illustration of the Little Mermaid... Um, where part of that drama, I'm not going to do the voices, 
But part of the drama is what's going to happen to all the characters that we love. What, what's going to happen to Ariel? By the way, that was my stepdaughter, Pages. She loved the Little Mermaid. And my first in with her was because Ariel's prince, his name was Prince Eric. Yes, that was my first points with her. But the drama of the Little Mermaid is what's going to happen to Ariel and Eric. What will happen? Will the, the evil Ursula win? So there's this tension and this anxiety that we subject our, our kids to. What Daniel 12 does is says, at least for that part of the anxiety, that part of the drama, I'm going to let you know how it ends. I'm going to tell you that the people of God win. In fact, it ends with resurrection. Now, here's a really important part that perhaps you haven't heard this in many Easter messages, right? This is a little pre-Easter message of resurrection. But, but how the resurrection, the end of all things is communicated has a really surprising nuance that not only gives peace but motivation for today. And that's this, is that how Daniel represents the resurrection is one resurrection, two outcomes or destinations. One resurrection, two outcomes. Look at your neighbor and say, one resurrection and two outcomes. If you're by yourself, tell Jesus, oh, one resurrection, two outcomes. W would you look at the powerful scripture that's there. It's, he says, verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. That's one resurrection. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. You could say, well, that, that's Old Testament, but, you know, Jesus and salvation and good. Actually, Jesus would, in his own words, would reiterate these verses in Daniel. He says in John 5, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who, are, who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. This sounds very Daniel-esque, doesn't it? There's one resurrection, but how many outcomes? Two. Two destinations that this brings Peace and comfort that God wins. Yes, that we will be, as Jesus was resurrected, we will be resurrected as well. But this should also bring conviction and resolve. I want to be of the group of folks that did good and rise to life. Not of those who are raised and experience resurrection, but have done evil and are raised to condemned. 
How should we live, therefore, with this compelling picture of the end? How should we live? I think there's two verses in Daniel 12 that can be very instructive. The first is verse 3. It says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. We'll talk about that in just a moment, what that means. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This begs the question of where does your life lead others? How is your life impacting others? It's amazing. Right in there is some words of discipleship and influence. And it begs the question, how is my life influencing others? Whether it's my, my kids or my spouse or my coworkers or my friends or my enemies, how is my life influencing others? How is your life, how are you leading others? What's the influence? Proverbs 10.17 says this, whoever heeds discipline shows the way of life. But whoever ignores correction leads others astray. There's a, a parenting axiom that I was thinking about that I am sad to say that I've used this axiom. Perhaps some of you have used this axiom. I don't think, I know for sure it's not biblical. And I don't think it's from God. It's this one. Have you ever said, for those of you who are parents, do what I say, not as I do. Yeah. Do what I say, not as I do. That's really filled with hypocrisy, isn't it? Yeah. Have some of you said that as parents? You heard your parents say that? This is a way what Christ is calling us to is a consistency and authenticity towards one another. That if you live or have hypocrisy there, then ultimately you're leading people away from Christ, not towards Christ. Let's get very practical in this time of the pandemic. It is how you're responding in this time of anxiety and stress, is it leading people towards Christ or away from Christ. When everything got real serious, right, it seemed to turn really quick, and I, I remember walking into King Supers for the first time and seeing empty shelves and full carts. And there was something in, in me that said, I want to get mine. I got to get, get mine. I got to hoard. I got to prepare my family, get ready. And right in King Super. I felt the Lord say, that's not you. That's not who I've called you to be. I've called you to be a person of, of kindness and generosity. I've called you to be a person of faith, not of fear. I'm calling you and inviting you to trust me in this way.
Probably many of you heard the story of the, of the priest in Italy. He was on a ventilator and he realized that others were without a ventilator and so he gave his own so that others might live and he died. You know, that priest is gonna experience resurrection just like every one of us. And he's gonna be raised to life because he followed Jesus and gave his life for others. I wanna be that guy. I wanna be that person. I want you, our church, to be that community of faith that is not strapped down by fear and anxiety, but trust and kindness and generosity. I want to be a people that is not disillusioned by these world events, but I want to be a, a people that are trusting Father, that he's got it. He is at work in this world. And I, even now, in this moment, in this pandemic, he's inviting me to join him in his work in the lives of others, that he would have me lead others towards Christ, towards righteousness, and towards purity. I want to be that person. I want you all to be that person, that people. There's another verse besides that verse. In verse 10, I think gets at our lives today. It says, many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Most of you know that God brings purpose to every hardship, every pain, every struggle, if we turn our hardship, our stress to God, he promises, this is one of the promises that we can claim and pray and respond, that he will bring good in the midst of our struggle and our pain. And what verse 10 is saying, that almost always part of what he is doing is refining and purifying his people and the world. That in this global pandemic, God is focused on the individual hearts and souls of his people. And he's trying to take these global events and get us to pay attention to here. So the question, it begs the question, what is God seeking to do? How is he refining you, wanting to refine you, wanting to purify you within your heart and your ruined soul? I have another question that's, that's kind of odd, but it's from this text. The question is, are you shining that seems kind of odd, isn't it? Right? 
Again, look back at verse 3. Those who are wise, those who are leading others to righteousness, those who are being purified and refined, will shine like the brightness of the heavens, will shine like the stars forever and ever. What does that mean? Some of you will recall the angel that appears to Daniel and we saw he had a face like lightning, we're told, and his eyes were like a flame. And I asked you to think about that and that probably because this angel was in the presence of God, the glory of God so filled him that the glory of God was pouring out of him, and it caused Daniel to to, to a face plant, if you remember, down because the the glory of God was so powerful in that angel. What the angel is saying is that you can be like that too. You can turn towards God and be so filled with his glory that you can shine like the stars even in the midst of the darkness of this world, you can shine. In fact, Paul picks this up and says this. Uh, This is in Philippians 4. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Right now, he's wanting to work in you. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation in in this moment of darkness and pain, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What he's talking about is this internal kingdom, this internal spiritual formation that he's wanting to address aspects of our hearts and our souls so that we look more like him and we shine like in the heavens. So the question is, are you paying attention? You're probably watching the news, you're, you're listening, you're tracking. We're, we're probably more global in our awareness today than we've ever been following places like Italy and Iran and China, all these places where we're mindful of what's happening in our, in our country, New York and hot spots that are there. Are, are you paying attention to that? Probably most of you, absolutely for sure. But what Daniel is saying is a big part of what God wants to do is right here. That he knows you and he loves you. And he's wanting to take the darkness of this age and refine us and renew us. It's not a question of if God will do it. The only question is, will you hear his voice? Will you pay attention? Will you be sensitive to his voice within. I wanted us to take some time just 
in the quietness of uh, your living room or wherever you're meeting? And can we take some time to listen personally and individually? If you're watching this with someone else, don't elbow them, like hope that they get what God is doing in their lives. But would you take a moment just to listen what's going on within? Can we pray together? Father, it's amazing that you are a great Awesome God, you are the creator and the sustainer of all the universe, that you have our world in your hands, and yet at the same time, you are Abba Father, you are close, you know us, you care about the inner workings of our hearts and souls. You care about the unredeemed parts, the ruined parts, the soiled parts, the hard parts of our soul. And yet, Lord, you don't want to lead us there You want to enter into those places. Can we just listen? Lord, would you have your way in our hearts and souls this morning? So for many of us, there is a anxiety and a fear that we just can't shake. It seems like that's the controlling aspect of our hearts and souls. Lord, we know that that's not from you. Lord, would you come in? Lord, would you relieve that anxiety? Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith in that way. Lord, for many of us, Lord God, we've been busy and distracted. That our souls have just been places not of peace and rest and shalom and Sabbath, Lord, they, they've been just, there's been so many things going on. We can't quiet our hearts and our minds. Lord, in this moment, in this time in the world, Lord God, we, we pray for your peace. Lord, would you help us as we are just with you that we would turn and seek your rest and your renewal, Lord God. But I believe that for many of us, Lord God, that there's been so much hate and division in the world 
whether politics or within churches or families or friends, Lord God, that you want this to be a time of forgiveness, of healing, of unity, Lord God. If there's anyone that that you've said hurtful words, whether a, a political figure, a friend, an enemy, that's not of God. That division is not of God. Would you invite the Spirit to address that anger within, that hate within? Holy Spirit, would you teach us to love our enemies? Would you teach us to cooperate with what you're doing in our hearts and in the world?